welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Good morning, children of the Most High God. That's who you are. That's who I am. Now, you are in for an old-timer talking about the past. And the reason being, as I can't remember yesterday, I can remember 1930, 32. Uh, I I wasn't born then. I was born in 1933. But God has allowed me in his great providence to do so many things that really has astonished me. I have come to the conclusion that if he'll use me, he'll use anybody. And it's been a wonderful journey, and I want to share with you some things. I won't bore you with too much, but I'm praying for God's outpouring of his spirit. I still believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that the power of God is present in this service. I have come honoring him. I have come declaring him. And I've come believing him. And so if you are here today and have any kind of special need, breathe it before the Lord because he'll meet you at the point of your need. I've been thinking because of Grandparents' Day. By the way, I'm a great-grandparent, so that really qualifies me. I have three great-grandchildren. We have seven generations in our family from the time that God started to move in our family. My son is pastor of Catonsville Assembly of God, and his son is his assistant. So we have an inside track. I was thinking of legacy. I've tried to leave a legacy for my children. I don't know if they realize I've been working at it. But a legacy that will point them in the right direction when I'm gone. And that, uh, I, I didn't say this in the first service. I don't know why I'm saying it now. But last December, I stopped breathing twice. And they put a pacemaker in me and brought me back. But I was very disappointed, not that I came back, (laughs) but that I didn't go to heaven like everybody else does. You know, you hear people, they stop breathing and they meet Jesus somewhere. Well, I hate to tell you that I spent three days fighting Germans. I'm from the Second World War, so you might understand that. And the last time, I was in this great big meeting, like in an arena. And it was my turn to get up and say that I was going to give everything to Christ. I didn't worry about that, but I was worrying about how to get out of that place. So I got up and I swore I would give everything to Christ, and then I said, the only way to get out of here is to wake up. So I woke up. 
If you don't have a sense of humor, I hope you'll get, you'll get one before we're, we're done. <laughs> I really had to work on that first service. <laughs> My wife and I are real, really senior citizens. I started collecting senior citizens' discounts when I was 55. I've been doing it for 30 years. That's not bad. <laughs> but we came up through hell and high water, 95, emphasizing the high water. I'm praying the whole way. There's nothing but fog in front of my face and tractor trailers everywhere and all of this water coming. And I said, why did Paul choose this day? So I blamed it on him. All right, let's talk about legacy. What is a legacy anyway? A legacy is uh, several things. Number one, it's money or property left in a will. Well, has a legacy, leave it. It's anything handed down from an ancestor. And a legacy can be something that remains forever. The two legacies I talked about in the beginning, they can kind of pass away. You can forget about your ancestors. You can forget about the will when you've spent all the money. But there is a legacy in Scripture that God has given us. It's in verse number 10 of 2 Second, of Timothy chapter 1. I want to read some verses to you, and I want to be aware of the time. So I'm going to read quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now what's happened here is the Apostle Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus to pastor. Things went well at first. The church was in growing. Then all of a sudden Nero took over in Rome. And he decided that he wanted to burn Rome and blame it on the Christians. So great persecution rose. Apostle Paul's writing his last letter. It won't be too long or he'll be decapitated. And Nero will be singing and playing his violin while Rome burns and the Christians are hiding out. Well, this persecution hit the church at Ephesus in a very strong way. Timothy was almost overwhelmed with what happened. He fell into a decline. He was not as excited about things as he was, that Paul told him to stir up that gift that's in him. And Paul was worried. Timothy had, had been with him for 15 years, yet still a young man. He'd been on the second and third missionary journeys of church planting, of uh, the churches that we read about in the New Testament. And he was under great stress. There were heresies got into the church. Divisions and confusion. And here he was trying to survive. The survival of the church was at stake. And those of us who love the church would weep within when something like that happens. So Paul gives Timothy an, an admonition, and he gives him an insight to the legacies that have been his, Paul's, Timothy's, and the one that will last forever. Let's begin reading. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promises of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son. Timothy is Paul's son in the Lord. His father was a Greek. His brother and grandmother were Christian. Grace, mercy, this is a word that Paul doesn't usually use in his salutations, but mercy Timothy needs a lot of mercy. And peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank, my, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers day and night and day. Now, that's the first point. The legacy from our forefathers. Paul had that. We'll go back. That's number one, if you want, if you want to put it on your outline. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, Timothy is breaking down, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, or Eunice, if you like that, and I am persuaded in you also. That's number two, legacy from the immediate family. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor be his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Oh, I love that. God knew us before our parents were born. How many of you know that? He knew us before time began. We're big time. Remember that. We're big time. God knew us before he created anything else. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's point number three. That is the living legacy, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will never, ever go out of style. All right, let's begin. Paul is in prison. He had been in a house arrest for a while, but now he's in prison proper. He's about to give his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nero will have him beheaded very shortly, A.D. 66. And he's writing this letter to his beloved son, who's under a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, under, under something that he can hardly handle. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there, where I've cried out to God in the midnight hour to help me through. And this is what Paul is doing. He's talking to his son in the spirit. The first of all, thing he says, for number one, verse number three, he says, as my forefathers did. He had forefathers. Everybody has someone that you build upon. If you don't have a legacy in your family, it's time for you to create one. My family goes back seven generations, as I told you. And it's been, it's been a journey of joy, a journey of power, been a journey of miracles. It's been a journey that I cherish 
with every thought that I have. But here Paul is saying his ancestors, what did they teach him? Well, they taught him the Old Testament. The Old Testament was something that the Jewish people had. They reverenced the Word of God. They had special readings. And Paul was an expert in the Old Testament. God took him a year and a half in the backside of the Arabian desert to give him revelation on the Old Testament. And from his books that we see that, God gave him insight to what the Old Testament was teaching concerning Jesus Christ and his coming. Now here at Grace Assembly, we have a legacy. Now I'm going to do this quick, because I, I, the history is, is pretty long. It starts 1919. That's one year from now, it'll be 100 years. A young man by the name of Edward Frederick Michael Stout came to Baltimore from Nyack New York College. He had studied at the college there with, under the Christian Missionary Alliance and came to Baltimore City, Northwest Baltimore, 918 North Fulton Avenue, and to start the first branch of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Baltimore City. That was 1919, actually the same year that the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, A.B. Simpson, died. Pastor Stout came to Baltimore. We lived one block away from 918. We lived in the 1000 block, thank God. But anyway, he started to work in his home. He had a very large house. And in the basement, there was large, uh, enough room to have a small church. Well, the church started, and 1922, Pastor Stout was invited to the Lyric Theater to hear a woman from, uh, from California by the name of Amy Semple McPherson, who was teaching a, and healing people, teaching a strange doctrine, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor Stout went to the Lyric and received the Holy Spirit and came back home and went round and round with the Christian Missionary Alliance for a year, 1922 to 1923, and he was proving that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was legitimate for today, and its original sign of receiving the baptism was speaking in other languages or other tongues. Well, they finally decided to part ways. Pastor Stout would leave, and the Christian Missionary Alliance group would leave and start their church somewhere else. Well, Pastor Stout stayed there. I believe he may have owned that home. I'm not sure of that. But he stayed at 918 North Fulton. And in the meantime, in that year, 13 people from the Christian Missionary Alliance had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he had a group of charter members, spirit-filled, ready to go, and they named the church the Full Gospel Church of Baltimore City. Well, Pastor Stout was a church planter. People were coming from all over the place receiving the infilling of the Spirit, and they had to have three services a, a day. They had one in the morning, one at, in the afternoon, and one at night because the people were traveling so far to get the teaching out concerning the Holy Spirit's infilling. Well, to make a long story short, Pastor Stout decided that it would be better to plant churches where these people live rather than have them traveling, spending their whole day on the road. So he started several works. Uh, he started the, the church that is in, um, the first one he, he did, I believe, was Hereford Assembly of God. It used to be called Evna back in those years. 
It's Hereford Assembly of God. Then he started uh, Red Lion, Pennsylvania, Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania. And, and before that, Pastor Litzinger, who was part of the early church, planted two churches on the eastern shore. So we have five churches already with a fledgling church that has just come out of uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance. In 1943, Pastor Clattenburg came to Trinity to Baltimore and changed the name of the church to Trinity Assembly of God to bring it into uh, alignment with all the rest of the churches that were Assembly of God so people would know what it was. So Pastor Clattenburg also planted a church in Lansdowne. So Lansdowne Assembly of God comes out of our loins, our DNA, as Pastor Paul likes to say, our DNA. Uh, we have a lot of DNA uh, going around. And so he started, while moving the church from Saratoga and Monroe to Harford and Parkside, and then Pastor Clattenburg passed away in 1972. I had been in the church since 1935. I was brought there when I was two years old. My mother had joined this church in 1928 as a teenager, got away from the Lord, married my father who was an alcoholic, and she was away from, from Christ until 1928, until 1935, from 28 to 35. He brought me, and I have the proof of it. I have my certificate of being enrolled in the cradle roll of Trinity Assembly of God, May of 1935. Beat that. <laughs> You're catching on to me, aren't you? Well, Pastor Clattenburg passed away, and I had been youth director there for a while, and the brethren called me back to my home church. Now, that's frightening enough, isn't it? Go back to your home church where they saw you grow up, a little fat kid running around. What does he know? You know, But they uh, somehow the spirit overruled, and they voted me in in January of 1973. Well, it became quite evident that we needed to moved to another location. That church only held 230-some people. And so we started our journey from Harford Parkside to the Beltway in Baltimore. And uh, it was my privilege to be pastor at that time. Well, anyway, we built the church there. We were one year in the high school in the church uh, in 70. Um, in the, actually, it was 79 we got into the building. But it, we, I count it as 80 because it's easier to figure because it was December of, uh, of 79. We did our first, first cantata. By the way, we had cantatas where 12,000 people came to those cantatas. Boy, I wish we'd have charged them more money. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, uh, I got started into the decade of harvest. They asked me from Springfield to be in the Decade of Harvest. And I, I figured on a Decade of Harvest, I better plant some churches. We were going to plant 5,000 churches and all that. But anyway, when I started, I got several underway, and then a whole bunch, uh, 30 different pastors came along. We were meeting together on Friday afternoon. I did it on Friday afternoons to try to keep some of them from coming because, because Friday afternoon is very busy for people. But they, they ignored me and came. And so we were studying and planning and working. We worked with the Korean church, which is right across the road in 
Lutherville. We got that going. There's a nice, large Korean congregation there. Then we uh, started planting in, um, I, I, I'm not sure which way we were doing, a couple of them at one time, Ellicott City Assembly of God and Catonsville Assembly of God at my son pastors and his son as his assistant. And then Paul came along, Pastor Paul. I call him Paul because I'm old. I don't, I don't want to, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. But anyway, he, he came along and it was a struggle at that time. We were helping so many different churches. We weren't only planting, we were helping churches become strong and uh, putting our resources there and so on. Uh, and he came along and he, he, he mentioned that I had been praying for this area for a long time. I had several group, several places I had targeted in my prayers, and the Lord reminded me that I had cried out to him for this area, and now's your chance to do it. So I said, okay. And I thank God that we did. Sitting here looking at you makes me feel like my, my life is worthwhile for something. But anyway, here, here we are uh, in, in that particular way. Uh, I think I've named them all, maybe El- Ellicott City, Catonsville. Oh, we did one in Exton, Pennsylvania. Uh, on and on. Right now, the church, is, uh, the church is working on Echo Church over in, in the White Marsh area, Perry Hall area. We're praying now for land. It seems like every time we need a land, God works a miracle. <laughs> we have kinds of miracles. I guess you've heard about this one. I love this story about this property. But, the, but that's not the only one that God gave us. But he gave us one in Elegant City, just, just unbelievable. But anyway, that's the story. That's your, your legacy. You're built on something solid. You're built upon the solid rock, Christ Jesus. And you're built upon churches that love God, are serving the Lord, are doing mission works, are keeping the word of God in front of the people, not messing it up preaching it like it is, telling it like it is, showing it in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit in healing and deliverance and in miracles and signs and wonders. You and I have a great heritage. We have a legacy we can celebrate. Say amen. The second point is in verse 5. Legacy from the immediate family. If I read this verse to you, I can actually, without doing any harm to it, put my grandmother and my mother's name in there also. So I'll do that. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith. Now that word genuine is translated in another, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, Another, uh, not the King James, but the NIV or uh, what? What is that, Paul? I can't. About, all right. Whatever it was. I don't even care now. But, uh, but that, word, that word genuine is translated sincere. I want you to see this for a moment. Sign Sirah. Son judged. What does that mean? Well, in the old days... <laughs> before they had weaving and um, how to patch things that, that got ruined, if you made a, a large swatch of 
of, of cloth, you might have a little tear in it. And you wanted to sell that, and you know if the person who was buying it saw that little tear, they wouldn't buy it. So you put a little bit of wax in there, kind of blend it in. But the people got wind of that. And what they would do was take that piece of cloth and hold it up to the sun. That's where you get signed Sierra, sun judge. And they see that little spot of, of wax, and then they would lower the price they wanted to pay. Or imagine with me a, a potentate, somebody who's important, and he's getting a, a bust made, a sta- you know, a bust, a statue. And the day of unveiling comes, and they're in the center of the square, and it's at high noon, it's a hot day. And they unveil this bust. The next thing you know, the nose on the bust starts to trickle away. Because the sun has shined down upon that bust, and the wax that the sculptor put in the hole in the marble melts out. So what am I saying? Sun judge, faith. Faith without wax. Faith that can stand the test of time, that can stand the heat of the sun without melting. And that's a genuine, sincere kind of faith that Timothy's grandmother and mother displayed. I want to talk to you about my grandmother. Her name is Gertrude McClatchy. That's Irish. They came to this country, her father did, and the Irish people weren't in very good standing. And so he dropped the mick, and she became Gertrude Clatchy. She was 16 years old when my grandfather, who was all German, he was the son of a former <laughs> priest who was studying to be a priest and then was drafted into the army, and he left the priesthood, and got married and came to this country. My grandfather wooed Gertrude, and at 16, they were married. He started having children right away and had children all the way until she was 45 years old, 11 of them. I live with them. That's why I'm so strange. But anyway... This woman, one Sunday night, we dropped her off at Calvary Assembly of God, where Irving Johnson was pastor. Irving had a terrible heart condition. They didn't expect him to live. But he held on as long as he could to his pastorate. And on the platform, they had a wall up, and behind that wall, he had a cot. He would lie in that cot until it was time for him to preach, and he would get up and preach the best he could. My grandmother and grandfather got there early, and Gertrude went behind that wall, laid hands on Irving Johnson, and God instantly healed him of his heart condition. He preached 20 more years and had another church beside Calvary Assembly. But that's not the whole story of Gertrude. It started in Baltimore City on Scott Street. 
My grandfather and grandmother were just married. She had had, well, five or six years ago. She had four or five children. She came down with tuberculosis of both lungs. She had withered away to 80 pounds. She was upstairs, ready to die. Her father, James Clatchy, had found Jesus Christ, had been spirit-filled, and guess what? He went to the full gospel church of Baltimore City. That's the predecessor of Trinity Assembly of God. One evening, James got the board members of the shoulders upon which we stand, Full Gospel Church of Baltimore City, and brought them down to Scott Street. My grandfather was standing downstairs. His wife was upstairs. He was tending to the children. James came in with this group of people from our heritage, from our legacy. My grandfather says they didn't pay much attention to him. They marched right up the steps, and they began to pray, and he said, I thought the house was going to fall down. It was shaking, because in those days, the louder you prayed, the more anointing you had. But I'll tell you something. Gertrude came out of that bed, healed. And my grandfather downstairs, a man who had no, nothing to do with God, said he saw like a mighty hand come out of the ceiling and flatten him on the floor. And I think he was there a couple of days. But he was saved and spirit-filled. That's how that all happened. I'm going to cut it a little short with Dorothy. My mother was a great intercessor. She taught girls for 40 years. But I would walk in the room sometimes, and she'd be flat on her face in a stuffed chair, crying out to God for the salvation of her sons and her husband. She got all three of them. My father was saved two days before he died. That's a big story, too. So we have our ancestors, and we have our family. On it goes. Now, Paul says something to Timothy that I want you to see before we finish our last point. He says to him, verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, we, anybody who's been around long enough knows the original Greek here, that you're supposed to blow on embers that are, are fading. You have a fire, you blow on them and bring them back to life. I don't know anybody carrying around a, uh, a fire like that, unless you watch gun smoke. They have them all the time. But uh, what I want to give you a practical application here of how to rekindle the fire when the pressure gets heavy, when you're feeling like you want to give up, when everything seems to be going against you. First of all, Stoke that fire with this word of God. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Divides asunder the soul and the spirit. Joints and the marrow. Believe me. Apply yourself to this because it is highly flammable. 
in the spirit of mankind. The second thing I want to tell you, or say or share with you, really, I don't need to tell you, is pray in your prayer language. Pray in tongues. If you don't have tongues, get it today. God will fill you today. Believe me, he will. Pray five minutes, just in tongues. Pray out loud. Then go to ten minutes. You'll go, you'll go automatically. You'll get ten minutes in, and you'll want five more. Then you'll get up to an hour. The next thing you know, that fire that's flickering will be a, a, a boiler, <laughs> overflowing with the power and love of God. You'll be so on fire, you won't, you won't even recognize yourself. You'll lay hands on people, they'll recover. You'll share the gospel with somebody, they'll get saved. You'll lay hands on someone and they'll receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Pray with your prayer language. That's why God gives it to you. It's to strengthen you with might in the inner man with the Spirit of God. That's practical. That's what God does. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit pray, and he will pray right on target. You know, we don't know how to pray sometimes, but he prays on target all the time. He'll hit that bullseye for you every time you pray in a language. And he will quicken you and bring you to life. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. There's a gift that was given to you by laying on our hands. What was it? It was the Holy Spirit. What else? That gift is, you, is for us today, you and me. It's something that is so priceless and so precious that we should guard it with every ounce of energy that we have and not allow it to fall in disrepair, but to constantly use it, bring it to life, and let that life ooze from us. It'll touch other people. They'll call you a person of presence. Now, finally, how many of you doing all right? Everybody okay, okay over here? Hey, hi, Lord. I didn't see you. Well, the gospel, then. What is the gospel? Too good to be true, isn't it? <laughs> good news, but it's too good to be true. And all you have to do is repent of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and every sin you've ever committed in the past and even in the future are forgiven. That's what we emphasize, don't we? But the gospel is so much more than that. Let me show you what the gospel is. It starts out in Isaiah 53, 5 from the Old Testament. He says he, has, he was wounded for our transgressions. That's the sin thing. He was bruised for our iniquity. Number two is the chastisement for our peace was upon him. So we have salvation. That's the number one. Don't get me wrong. That's the most important. We have to, have to remember that. That's the most important. But we don't want to sell ourselves short. And this is past tense. All of this is completed action. It's already done. He has saved us. He has given us peace. Now, what else does he do? And by his stripes, we are healed. And there's another scripture that goes about prosperity. I'm running out of time. So I'll just tell you that. There's a package deal 
It's all finished. Our healing is finished. Our salvation is finished. Our peace is finished. All we have to do is to tap into it through faith. Our faith is what excites it. The scripture tells us that by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest men, men should boast. I could say it this way. By grace you have been healed through faith. And that's not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I have done no harm to that scripture. That scripture is true. It's a package deal. All we need to do is to tap into it and ask God to give you the faith to tap into it. That's all you need. And once you do that, God will begin to work in your life. That's why this is a living legacy. It's salvation. It's peace. It's healing. It's prosperity. All those things. And notice again in Matthew 8, 16, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Again, Psalm 103, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. I saw on Womack program, Andrew Womack, great teacher of the Bible, of testimonies of a young woman who was about to die. And they were praying and believing God with the same philosophy I just told you, that healing is part of the atonement. It's part and parcel of being saved. We have that blessing. And this young woman was ready to die when Jesus appeared to her. And when she saw him, she almost broke. He was a, probably a late teens. He said, I saw his back. It wasn't anything like I had imagined, she said. I thought of stripes, just lines on his back. But she said there were gouges where big chunks, chunks of his flesh had been ripped from his ribs. And she said, at that moment, the healing power of God came upon me, and I was healed. What a testimony. But only one person in nine ever survived that scourging. One in nine. And his name is Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is Messiah. He's the ransom from heaven. He's the blessed Redeemer. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's Lord of all. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to God, no matter what the Pope says. He is the spotless Lamb of God. He's our healer, our rabbi. He's our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's our elder brother with whom we are joint heir. The government is upon his shoulders. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He is God. Without him, nothing was made that was made. By his will, 
all things exist. He has ascended on high. He has received gifts for men. Some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He who ascended is about to descend. The trumpet is about to sound. And those of us who are his, and we haven't died yet, we will be caught up together with those who have died to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So comfort yourself with these words. Sometimes you can get overwhelmed. Sometimes that gift that's in you begins to flicker. Pray with your prayer language. You'll find yourself alive and, and, and you won't even recognize yourself. As I said, we have a living legacy and it's called the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me for a moment?